Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. We're previewing Temple. We're going to talk a little bit of recruiting. Uh, Notre Dame picked up a big one last week and Khalid Kareem, four-star defensive end out of Detroit. Um, but let's start with something a little bit off the radar. And Tim Priester sat down with Jack Swarbrick on Wednesday to talk about Showtime, a few other things. Um, I guess what was the most enlightening part of that interview? Uh, I, you know, we covered a lot, and, and it was really interesting to hear the the administrative opinion uh, about the whole Showtime experience. And part of it was going back to the Showtime experience that the basketball program had last year. It was actually something that was talked about pre-2004 football season, which if you think about how the football season went, uh, it was kind of fortuitous that they ended up not doing that year. Um but to me, the most interesting thing was that it was a Brian Kelly creative, uh, what's the name of the company, CCA, creative artist agency that approached really Notre Dame with Showtime about the idea. Brian Kelly was supportive of it. And I think as, as candid and as good as Brian Kelly is in the a season with Notre Dame series, you can understand why he, yeah. you know, he helped initiate it because he's very comfortable doing that. And you know, a cynic can't help but say, is this an audition for the next level <laughs> for the Hard Knock series mm-hmm. at HBO? And, and and Jack Swarbrick and I talked about the HBO series and, and, and what have you. But uh, I found that to be interesting. But Jack Swarbrick being a member of my generation, you know, we kind of look at things the same way. You know, the the distractions that could come with having Showtime around, you know, basically every single day of your life for an entire football season. But... The players are from a different generation. They're used to the uh, phone camera age mm-hmm. that they live in. And, you know, Jack Schwarber quickly found out that, you know what, this isn't that bad. And plus, he loved the stage that it presented for not only Notre Dame, but college football in general, saying that the perception out there that everybody is a thug and, and a mercenary in college football, mm-hmm. it's not true. Look at our program. And they do. They come across as well-spoken because they mostly are well-spoken. I mean, it is it is a different level. I, I you know, Goldman really covered Notre Dame every once in a while without naming other schools. You go on the road for basketball and you'll do some interviews and be like, wow. That was a little yeah, different they're, than they're, they're trying to get these things out. And yeah, they, they come across as well-spoken. Of course, they have since tailored it exactly to the most well-spoken, entertaining people they can find, which is understandable, which, of course. Which Jack Swarbrick said was that part was not dictated by Notre Dame. The, 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 Content of the week or the uh, subject or topic of the week is not dictated by Notre Dame, nor were the players at Showtime chose to feature the Joe Schmitz, the Jerry Tillery's, the Sheldon Days. Although, you know, I mean, I think that kind of answers itself on its own. You know, Tillery's you know? the only one that I mean, Day is one of the best players on the team. Schmidt is the reigning MVP of the team. They're going to be they were going to be featured all the time. Tillery's is just a regular starter. I think the relationship between Schmitt. Day and Tillery contributed yeah. to that because yeah. Day kind of took him under his wing and he gave him the nickname and 
and ran with it. But we'll have that story up later tonight, Thursday night. And so if you don't see it tonight, you'll see it tomorrow morning. Well, I'm moving a little bit into Temple here. Notre Dame's coming off the bye week. So we spent, as we do every bye week, talking about, was it a good time for a bye week? Uh, and it turns out that it really was. And I think it, sort of a story within the story that I'm writing about this week is sort of that Notre Dame was able to time the bye week with fall break, which is something that they had last year. Looking ahead, it's something they'll have next year as well. Uh, and how Brian Kelly said that's really the best way to maximize is to just sort of cut out everything and everyone can get away and recharge. And uh, getting back to showtime, that was I think that was one of the more interesting episodes for me because it was stuff that we didn't know had happened. When they hi- highlight the game, like I was there, I covered that game. I know who won. <laughs> you know, it was it was more interesting to me to see Joe Schmidt on the beach in California, or Deshaun Kaiser back in Toledo, or Sheldon Day with his mom Carol in Indianapolis, or Jerry Tiller Jerry in Tiller. Ireland. Because I know we all went to Ireland on fall break. Right? Yeah, was... it was it was funny. I asked Jalen Smith, so like, so you didn't go to Ireland on fall break, and he was like, "No, yeah, they went to Ireland the year before I got here." I'm like, "No, I'm talking about Jerry Tiller." He's like, "Yeah, what is that about?" Um, so I mean that that was one of the more interesting episodes for me, and talking to the players about how yeah, it was nice to get away from everything, and CJ Prosize included getting away from the media and cameras. While the Showtime yeah. boom mic is over both of us, uh, I think for some players, there is a little bit of fatigue with There's the show. No There's I think no for doubt. Deshaun Kaiser, was, it was interesting to me, like, Brian Kelly's talking about how he's running on fumes a little bit and needs to recharge while you but, get to go home with a camera crew. Like, right. I, I don't know how reinvigorating that is. I think Deshaun Kaiser has grown and matured through that process. Yeah, I agree. Which, which, yeah. Is, which is really interesting because... Again, I come from a generation where you're trying to run from that and protect your team from that, and Notre Dame's not doing that at all. So it's a different age. I, I understand that, and and initially that was one of my concerns. That, my God, you know, I mean, how how bright can you allow the spotlight to be? Well, apparently, I mean, this year they're allowing it to be as bright as as Showtime wants it to be. Yeah, and well, I mean, within reason, because certainly we've all covered Brian Kelly practices, and we've heard some of the salty language that goes on there that does not make it into right. Showtime at all. No, no doubt about that. And we also are aware of some directors and producers with Showtime that didn't follow the Notre Dame, yeah, yeah, coaching yeah. Uh, uh, meeting to you know to the the normal protocol, and that yeah. was eliminated. That's as one well. thing I kind of don't blame them if. if since they're allowed to scrub it, and they obviously do scrub it. Do you remember when that was it 60 Minutes that followed Weiss to the yeah. first practice, and it was just a litany of F-bombs, and it made... I mean, it made him look... I guess that's who he was in, as coaching, yeah. but it made him look terrible, and people jumped all over it. So I, I don't blame... Since Notre Dame has editorial control, I'd be scrubbing it too. But it is funny that, like, you know, there's nothing that ever bad... Nothing bad ever comes no, out No, no, no. The so. interesting thing with Weiss was that he loved the image it portrayed. Yeah. <laughs> For a year. (laughs) Well, moving ahead to reality TV that we'll be covering on Saturday night that will be on ABC when Notre Dame goes to play Temple. Um, I am pretty interested in this Temple team way more than I thought I would be at the beginning of the year. I don't know if you guys watched the East Carolina game on Thursday night. Um, In a weird way, it reminds me a lot of Notre Dame 2012, but like kind of a poor man's version of it. They have a really dynamic middle linebacker who wears a single digit who suddenly is getting interceptions. 
They have a really good running back who the entire offense is built around. They don't score a lot of points. They don't give up a whole lot either. Um, and it's, it was, I thought it was interesting talking to some of the players during the week, Deshaun Kaiser in particular. He was like, yeah, at the beginning of the year, who's circling Temple? That was great uh, that he said that because that's completely true. No one yeah. should ever get on. A, come on. 7-0 Temple. There was not a human being outside of Temple no. who thought this. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Will Fuller gets up there and it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm from Philadelphia. Like, college football's not a big deal there, but I guess it is because Notre Dame's coming to town. And then I posted that on Twitter, and apparently there are Temple fans on Twitter that took offense to it. Five of the six Temple fans on Twitter. Yeah. They were, actually they came were, back and got They were all over me. Um, but I... It, I think it really adds to the narrative this week, and it, it makes this game so much more interesting than it was at the beginning of the year when you're looking at Temple and be like, that would crack my top ten of most interesting games on yeah. Notre Dame's schedule. Now, I mean, it's probably a top five type game. Yeah, and, and I think we all agree that that's not in Temple's best interest, the I, fact that now that totally. you've caught Notre Dame's attention. But you know what? I know more about Temple, and I've seen more Temple film than I thought I ever would. Uh, but they, look, they do have a lot of very talented players. Tyler Matakevich is is a hell of a football player and is going to play in the NFL. The kid that I really like, the two kids I really like, Jihad Thomas, the running back, who you can't let him cut back. If he if he is playing a cutback game, he's going to have success. But I love their nose tackle, Mike. Matt, I'm sorry, Matt Ionitis. I keep mispronouncing his name. He is long. He is agile. He plays a one technique, a three technique. I saw him at a five technique. They move him around. He's going to be a great challenge for Nick Martin, who's not a very long interior lineman. I also think that they're going to attack uh, Steve Elmer with with Matt Ioannidis as well. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned maybe not a great situation for Temple. This is not the between the lines as much, although it did get Notre Dame's attention. It's great for Temple's program that they're on game day. It's remarkable. It's incredible they have a night game. It'll help their recruiting a little bit. I mean, they need all the help they can get for that. They all, I mean, it's picked up. They have better skill, as Brian Kelly pointed out. But between the lines, that's rough for, for them because you get Notre Dame in there in that noon, sleepy Temple's 5-2. and that's two. Pit, you That's Pittsburgh week. That's Pittsburgh week coming up. Yeah, th- that's the one way to trap Notre Dame. I think that Notre Dame, someone took it, uh, posted this on the message board, and I think people took it the wrong way. He's right. It's not a good situation for Temple. It's great for their program. It's bad for those 60 minutes of football because Notre Dame will be fully engaged in this. No doubt about it. And I think, I think Matt Rule's done a really, really great job. But, but you, it, the origins of this is El Golden. Now, I know El Golden is not a, not a hot prospect these days. But the origins are El Golden, followed by Steve Adazio, who's a maniac and is a, is a physical coach to begin with. We'll talk about that Boston That's College. Say you're week. dying to talk about that. I am dying to talk about that because <laughs> I know a lot about Steve Adazio. But um, you know, so the origin. This is three coaches in a row that have promoted a, a physical football team, and they are a physical football team. But I want to see Notre Dame. I want to see them hit PJ Walker every mm-hmm. time they have an opportunity because he had a shoulder problem early in the season. He's listed at six one, two hundred pounds. If he's two hundred, I'm two eighty. I mean, this guy. He's hundred and eighty five max. Um, and quite honestly, Jihad Thomas had a shoulder and then had a shoulder issue at the end of the East Carolina game, and then I saw him limp off later. So, you know, they're banged up a little bit too. They don't have the depth that Notre Dame does. No, and yeah, you look at their defense overall, I think this is... Well, I think Notre Dame will win the game comfortably as Temple doesn't have enough offense. But why I think it's going to be a one-score game at halftime is because Temple has enough defense to make it that way. They're, they're top 10 in... 
a bunch of stuff, including yards per play allowed, opponent passer rating, rushing yards per game allowed, yards per carry allowed, scoring defense. They've only allowed 11 touchdowns all year. Red zone defense, uh, they're they're 11th and third down conversion defense, 5th in interceptions, 11th in sacks, 8th in sacks per game. Like, they do almost everything well defensively. I just, this is not a defense that you look at and feel like, it has a whole lot of weaknesses. However, I think much like that 2012 poor man's Notre Dame narrative, I think Notre Dame is going to be the poor man's Alabama in this game, and Temple is just not going to have the material to hold up. And I think of all those stats for this game, red zone defense and third down defense are the two that can keep it close, as you said, for a while. Because Notre Dame, while good in the red zone, like we wrote a story about it, when they get really in close there in that goal-to-go situation, that's one minor inefficiency they have on offense that we've highlighted all year, third down, third and short is not Notre Dame's best situation. So now you're facing... A defense that's proficient in those regards, yeah. and that can keep it close because Notre Dame's going to get yards. They get yards against everybody. They get yards against Clemson, and Clemson doesn't allow yards to anybody. They're going to drive, but you got to convert, and you can't give a team like Temple at home fired up with a chip on its shoulder stops inside the ten or a couple plays where it's you know third and three, and they wreak some havoc on you. I've seen Temple play, and they pass the eye test. There's no doubt about it. But I, I think I think the stats are, can be are a little deceiving in this case because they have faced four offenses that are just absolutely horrible. Central Florida is last in FBS, 128th. Penn State, I mean, all these teams are in the in the hundreds. Charlotte, Tulane, they've, they've beefed their stats up against teams like this. Cincinnati, who they beat, great credit to them. They beat Penn State at home and then go on the road and beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati also had 557 yards. Temple ended up having four interceptions, and that ultimately is what won the game for them. So uh, they have not faced an offense nearly as diverse as Notre Dame's. I think Notre Dame is going to try to play power football, but they're going to do what Brian Kelly always does. He's going to try to get the football on the edge as well and mix it up, use the whole width of the football field. Uh, you know, As much as we have talked about Notre Dame in third and short, I, I don't know if they struggle as much as they're very unconventional about it because Deshaun Kaiser is their best short yardage back. Um, you know, I, th- I thought it was interesting in the USC game. They had four third and shorts of three yards or less. They ran it on one. Kaiser converted. Kaiser, they threw it on three, and he only completed one of those passes. Um, it's just not a bread and butter you can just, go to, I yeah, guess is my point. It's like, what yeah. do they do well there? They run it well with Kaiser, yeah. and that's kind of about it, which is a weird place to be. And I, I agree with you that in this game, especially if it happens in the first half, if they get in a third and two, you would sort of bet on Temple to stop them in that situation. Um, But do they get in third and shorts at all? Because Notre Dame is averaging, I think, 7 point something yards per play, which is, I think, 1.2 yards better than last year. Brian Kelly has improved that stat all six years. The jump this year has been massive. Um, I don't think they're going to average seven yards a play against Temple, but I, I think they are going to average more than enough to make it comfortable in the I fourth quarter. You could average seven yards a play against Temple because they still hit those big plays. That's, That's the thing. There's going to be so many plays that are gains of three yards or less against Temple. It's going to be annoying, but it doesn't matter when you're putting 20, 30, and 40 up seven times. You know, the thing about I, I don't really have a problem with Kaiser being your short yardage back because, I mean, basically he's the wildcat runner, and we've always yeah, said yeah. with the wildcat – you have an extra hat. You have an extra man. And this man that's running is 6'4", 230, or 235 pounds. So I don't think it's it's that bad of a thing. You Certainly, 
<laughs> I mean, Brian Kelly would like to have you'd like to have a a Greg Bryant yeah. slamming in there, no doubt. I don't feel like it's a bad thing. I think it's just curious. Like it's it's just unconventional. Yeah. Um, you don't think about offenses relying on their quarterback. Well, Procise doesn't know how to be a short and, yardage back. And, and right I'm impressed now. that he that Kelly realized that pretty quickly after Virginia. He really did. He, yeah. He did. Now that's changed, good. It didn't work against Virginia. He changed gears. I do want to add one thing, and this is something I wrote about last week. One thing about great about bye weeks is, as Tim knows, a guy that we're always digging for, uh, you know, different story angles. I went to Ireland this bye week. So I didn't oh, okay. All. all right. Well, <laughs> I didn't. And uh, do you have any luck with the ladies at bars? <laughs> When you look at the opposing offenses that Notre Dame is going to face in the next four weeks, this is a huge opportunity for Brian Van Gorder's defenses to to get healthy, to get to put up some healthy numbers because these next four offenses are really I, I don't want to say they're pretty bad because I mean you know Temple's got a good running back and Pittsburgh does ball control and they don't have James Conner, but they're still pretty good. But Wake Forest and Boston College are, are dreadful. Yeah. So this is a great opportunity for the Notre Dame defense. On the flip side, Notre Dame is about to face five pretty good defenses, even Wake Forest to an extent. So don't expect Notre Dame to average 38 points a game over the last five games, nor are they going to have the same yardage just because the level of competition they're going to be facing. Yeah, I mean, so predictions. O'Malley, we'll start with you. You know, I'm in the in the 30 to 17 range. I think this is Notre Dame's defense is going to play well in this game. There's a the stat I kind of looked at since 2012, you obviously have to start from there when they, Notre Dame had a great defense. Ten road games, only once have, has the Notre Dame defense surrendered less than three touchdowns. It was Air Force, which kind of throws off everything. But a bad Purdue team scored three touchdowns, and an average Virginia team scored four touchdowns. I think they don't, I don't think they let Temple score three offensive touchdowns in this game, and I'm in the 30 to 31 to 17, 30 to 17 range, and Temple certainly needs Notre Dame to be in the 20s to win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's about what the scoreline is going to be. I think it'll be sort of a, a 17 7 halftime mm-hmm. score, but then end up being, you know, 34 13, right. something yeah. like that. I, I, do, I don't think Temple has enough offense. I mean, watching them against East Carolina, you saw a lot of slow developing deep shot pass plays. I don't think that they're going to have time. With PJ Walker to have slow developing deep shot pass plays, I think Sheldon Day and Isaac Rochelle, and maybe this is the week that Jalen Smith gets sent a little bit more, uh, or maybe he just uh, spies Jahad Thomas straight out of the game. Um, I think that's a possibility as well. So I d- I don't feel like Temple has the material offensively to hang with Notre Dame. Um, I mean, there's some really interesting funky stats that Notre Dame is 15 and 0 on Halloween. Um, but also weird that they haven't played a, a team seven and zero or better since nineteen ninety four or two thousand four yeah. USC, and they and they haven't beaten yeah. a team that was seven and zero or better since Florida State in ninety three. But that was that was the next last time. That was two times ago. That's crazy. Um, so the fact that they've only played two seven and zero or better teams in the last twenty two years is wild. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna go on a limb and say that the ninety three Florida State team and the two thousand four USC team were better. The Temple. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, they uh, they had them. I mean, it kind of it it, it it. I know I mentioned the 2012 Notre Dame team, but it almost reminds me of 2002 when they went to play Air Force. College Game Day was there. Oh, Air Force was six and zero, I think, yeah. at the time. And Notre Dame ended up winning the game 21-14. I don't remember the dynamics that game being as tight as seven points. Air Force scored like a weird Notre Dame like flipped the ball in the air and they scored a defensive touchdown right away to start the game. And okay. then they kind of held them down after that. I think the interesting dichotomy here is that, you know, we, we know um, 
Temple's second half numbers, they've only given up 29 points. They only gave up 24 points in the fourth quarter all of last year. But when I look at this game, I see Notre Dame just over the course of 60 minutes being too physical and pulling away. So, well, you know, who, something's got to give yeah, there. And, I, and I think it's going to be Temple's defense that's going to give up some points I, in the fourth quarter, which they're not accustomed to. I agree. It's such an interesting stat because I think, don't you agree, Pete, that Notre Dame will score more in the second half than they will in the first yeah. in this situation? Or, or at least as much? To, instead, I, you know, I don't know if I have a strong feeling yeah. one way or the other. I, I don't. I'm. I. Do have some confidence that I think for the first time in a few weeks that Notre Dame's going to go into this and actually start fast the way that they're supposed to and the way Brian Kelly preaches and the players want to and that that narrative won't be one next week. Um, So yeah, in the second half, maybe Notre Dame doesn't score a lot because Brandon Wimbush is in the game in the fourth quarter. I I don't know how that's going to play out, but um, I think the, the opportunity for Notre Dame to blow out Temple to me is bigger than the opportunity for than Temple to have a nail biter. I think yeah, I'd I think it's a comfortable Notre Dame win, but a, a Notre Dame hammering would surprise me less than Temple really pushing Notre Dame to the wire. Yeah, if Wimbush gets in, it would surprise me. Other than the end, I think it's a th- takes three quarters to put Temple down, and by put them down, I mean they're down seventeen. You know they can't possibly win going yeah. into the fourth quarter unless everything goes absolutely crazy. I just don't think they're going to murder them. I don't. I don't. I think Temple's good enough on D not to let that happen. Okay, we'll be back for segment two and talk a little recruiting. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is our recruiting roundup. And Notre Dame, big news last week uh, from Farmington Hills, Michigan, defensive end slash three technique. Khalid Kareem, the former Alabama commit, I, I think a, a really, really nice addition to Notre Dame's class. Yeah, a former Michigan State commitment on top of that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and somebody Notre Dame had been chasing for a long time. Um, ended up backing off the Alabama pledge, whether that was his doing or more Alabama's. Not entirely sure, but in the end, Notre Dame, I think, gets a an Isaac Rochelle replacement a year early. And uh, one thing Notre Dame maybe has not done a great job of is getting guys to come in and then play a little bit as a freshman then move into a starting role as a sophomore, similar maybe to what Isaac Rochelle did. Uh, but I think Kareem has a lot of skill set, like Rochelle, um, could be a very productive player down the road. And Notre Dame needs to cast a wide net and going into Michigan this year with Michigan State being way up and Michigan sort of being a hot story is impressive to me when you look at not only getting Kareem but maybe getting Dalen Hayes too. Um that is a huge difference from getting uh, Ade Ogundeje, who is much more developmental and a long-term guy. If you can get Kareem and Hayes out of Michigan, that is that is a home run haul for Notre Dame in a state where Keith Gilmore is recruiting now and um, two real big-time players for the front seven. I think it would be astonishing because Dalen Hayes is an, obviously is an even better prospect uh, than Khalid Kareem. But I like Khalid Kareem's game. I, I think there's versatility there. You know, during recruiting, you know, guys don't want to say, they don't want to say, oh, well, he could be a three technique because everybody wants to be a defensive end and you don't want to discourage him. Uh, but he could, I mean, there's no reason why he can't play yeah. Isaac Rochelle, Rochelle's position. I think he's probably a little better pass rusher, a more accomplished pass rusher than Isaac Rochelle was coming out of high school, although. I think I kind of overestimated Rochelle's pass rushing ability coming out of high school, but whatever. He's versatile. If you want to move him inside and and put in more of a, a pass rush specialist in certain situations, I think that'll work. But 
I think it's a great catch for Notre Dame. And I think one part about the narrative, because I think people are always curious, when you get somebody out of state that, you know, well, didn't the in-state schools really want this guy? Um, that is a, a legitimate red flag sometimes. And in Kareem's case, he was committed at MSU. When he backed off and went to Alabama, Michigan State moved on. Um, they filled that position. It was they, He was not a priority for them anymore. In Michigan's case... I think there's a little bit of a storyline emerging that, oh, you know, Michigan had some other guys that were targeting. And they were targeting other guys, but Kareem's father told um, our Jake Brown just the other day that Jim Harbaugh was the the first offer he made was to Khalid Kareem after wow. he got that job. So he was somebody that Michigan wanted. He was just not that interested in Michigan. They had a sour relationship with Brady Hoke and the previous staff and just didn't really feel a good vibe there. So... Notre Dame took advantage. There's some real interesting sort of funky backstory with Keith Gilmore and youth football and Khalid Kareem's grandfather, I think. I, there's You'll get in these recruiting. These coaches have been around for 25 years. <laughs> the amount of connections they have is it's nuts. Um, I, don't know, in the... I just don't know how they keep everybody straight. But uh, Keith Gilmore did a good job maintaining that relationship, and Notre Dame's going to be the beneficiary of it. And speaking of Michigan and Notre Dame recruiting head-to-head, Carlo Kemp from Colorado is another guy that is similar to Kareem in that he, I think there's some versatility there. I look at him more as a as a guy that's more likely to end up inside than, than Kareem. How will Kareem's commitment to Notre Dame impact Notre Dame and the, and the whole Michigan process? You know, it's that... Talking to people around this recruitment, it sounds like the family wants him at Notre Dame and the kid maybe is more is more split or maybe even leaning towards Michigan. He has talked about how the religious aspect of Notre Dame is a real positive, which, like, let's be honest, not every kid says that. Um, so I think the Kareem commitment sort of turns down the temperature on Notre Dame absolutely having to land Carlo Kemp because they just didn't have enough big-time prospects on the board. Now, if Kemp ends up in Michigan, it's not the end of the world for Notre Dame's class. So that's I think a big change. Most Notre Dame fans would say, "You mean you have a chance to get another defensive lineman? Yeah, yeah let's go ahead and take him." Take him. Uh, and before we leave Michigan, talk about a couple other guys: Dalen Hayes, um, who yeah, I've been watching more and more film of him. And again, I know that you know there's talk a linebacker, but I think that kid ends up a defensive end, and I think he's going to be a real special defensive end. Yeah, it's real his. Development has been fascinating because when we saw him at the Irish Invasion in 2014, I mean, he looked kind of more like a spindly Jalen Smith, like real lean and long. And then I saw him at the opening out in Oregon over the summer, and I was like, what happened? Like, yeah. He really got in a squat rack. Um, his, and you wonder, if okay, if is the next step that suddenly he is you know 265 pounds, and then you have to play defensive, and I think Notre Dame would be fine with that. Uh, if you watched the Showtime series, you saw – Brian Kelly and Keith Gilmore head up to Detroit to recruit Dalen Hayes and Khalid Kareem. And then you heard reference of him going to Florida, um, I think including Palm Beach, Florida, where they went down to see Devin Studstill, who's sort of a safety corner. Notre Dame feels like they're in very good position with him. Um, I, haven't heard, I, I haven't heard a single word around the program that makes me think they're not going to get him. Uh, so he's sort of a combo defensive back. They also went down to see Deion McIntosh, a running back, slot receiver type. And I think as confident as I was that Damian Alloway was going to be part of this class, he's the slot receiver out of California after a summer visit. I think McIntosh is maybe more the leader in the clubhouse right now. Um, and Brian Kelly coming down to see him, I believe with Autry Denson, made a real impression on McIntosh. Uh, McIntosh and Studsill and Hayes and Kareem all were here for the USC weekend. Um, so I think that 
coming out of that visit, there was some, I think, blowback on message boards about like, well, Notre Dame didn't really make any impression there. They didn't get any commitments. And I think ultimately, and you're going to see Notre Dame get as many as almost a half dozen commitments out of that weekend, and it's really going to be the core of the I, class. I, I think it's, I mean, let's dispel this notion that you need to get a commitment immediately after the weekend for it to be an effective weekend. So Clearly, you're saying the player can't suit up the very next week? <laughs> <laughs> early, early, early entry. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just that, I mean, clearly, Pete, so many arrows are pointing up right now with the way Notre Dame is playing and coming out of that USC recruiting weekend. At, at no point in this recruiting cycle has Notre Dame's class trended up more than it is right, right now. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with being in the top 10 and being in the college football playoff. Uh, I think they put on a good show against USC. I just think a lot of arrows are pointing up for Notre Dame right now. Um so it's, I think it's a time, if you're a recruiting fan, to enjoy that and not worry about who's coming or who's not coming and, you know, why haven't they offered this sophomore yet? Um, things, are, things are in a very good position for Notre Dame recruiting right now. And you got to give Notre Dame credit because we've talked about this a lot on previous podcasts. They rebuilt the recruiting infrastructure going from Tony Alford to Mike Elston, a lot of new support staff in that department. It required some rebuilding, and I think they're finally at a point now where that foundation is set, and they're they're starting to get ahead of the game. So full credit to Mike Elston and the recruiting staff for getting there. All right, we will um, we go back to our regular Monday Thursday schedule of podcasts, and of course the next time that we'll be speaking with you will be from Lincoln Financial Field Saturday night, prior to the Notre Dame Temple game. Soho and-